Art Talk, a place where artists talk about art things and stuff about creativity to help you do art stuff too. We're back in the studio. Fire in the booth. Episode three. Ep three. We're getting serious with this. It's like a... Blockbuster sequel. Now we're gone for the third part. It's where it starts to drop off usually, though. And usually when it starts to drop off is when they bring someone like The Rock in who's just a (laughs) fucking boss and then it's all good again. So I think that could mean that getting someone on board is just around the corner before we just bore the fuck out. Yeah, but who would be The Rock? I'm The Rock because I'm bald. (laughs) You're Eminem. (laughs) Still. (laughs) Oh, but this is going to become the motif, isn't it? Hollywood. (laughs) Let's jump into it. We've got a really exciting thing to talk about, something that I would love to learn about, you know, and you've been doing some really cool stories on your Instagram. So, we're going to go back to the start today and talk about, yeah, where it all started for you, and that's with the Merriweather piece. Merriweather artwork, yeah. Merriweather artwork, and how did that come about? And I just want to hear some stories around that. Yeah, for sure. So, my art career kicked off. I just moved back to Newcastle from Byron Bay. I was a tattooist at that point, so I finished a a tattoo apprenticeship. I had covered my own thighs in tattoos completely, and it was probably at a point where I guess the people I was hanging around with at that point, all my mates are getting covered in tattoos as well, which I'm, I'm doing out of my bedroom or in the studio, and I feel like there was a bit of fear in my old man. He was probably thinking that you know, I'd come home one day with neck tattoos or, or arm tats, which probably wasn't far off the mark. So he was trying his best to push me in a direction with my art that was a little bit more positive, a bit more colourful, and it would set me up where I was actually profiting from this. The tattoo thing kind of went to the wayside for me and I found this new love for fine art and colour. I came up with a style that was based around things that I loved, which was the ocean and my hometown, Newcastle. I'd always had my eyes on this one particular art piece that I had seen in friends' homes, family homes, and it was this bird eye image of Merriweather Beach as if it was the centre of the world. And one friend in particular, Ryan Callanan, great friend of mine. Yeah, Ryan, he's on the CT. I love this kid. He's such a gentle, humble human. He had this Merriweather Beach artwork. When you opened his front door, it was there and it would stare you straight in the eyes. And I remember I'd always go around there before and after surfs and I just, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved how it made me feel. It was nostalgic. It had all the characters in there, you know, all the stereotypes of different people from around the town. And it was just one of those artworks that made you feel really good. And I remember talking to Ronnie's dad, Gaz, who isn't with us anymore, but he explained to me about how the artwork came about, who created it. And it was actually commissioned by our local surf club, Merriweather. They'd commissioned Michael Eggleston, who is a local guy, um, absolute champion, And Gaz was like, mate, I know where Ego lives. If you've got an hour or two, let's jump in the car and we'll whiz around to his place and you can have a chat with him. And I was like, that'd be amazing. Because for me, all I wanted was to get one of these artworks. And that just gives me chills. It's making my heart beat really fast because I'm back in that moment. But I just love the beauty of coincidence or the way that the universe just makes things happen. Because what comes to my head straight away is that moment you're just asking and then being provided with like, oh, I know the guy and I'm going to take you around. They're like, how... 
different could your journey be if that just never happened? Absolutely. And that's that's just Gaz too, you know. Gazza was one of those guys. He knew absolutely everyone. He was one of the most kind and beautiful people that was ever put on this planet. And yeah, it was just meant to be. So, he chucks me in his car and we drive around to Ego's place. And I remember sitting in Ego's studio and at this point, I guess I've cut to the chase a little bit. Because I couldn't get my hands on this artwork, I'd kind of jumped the gun and assumed that I would never get a copy. So I'd drawn my own version of how I saw his artwork today. So that artwork was created back in 89 or 88. And now in 2014, a lot of things have changed, you know. Developments have happened. The salt bush have been cut back. The fences had changed. The people had changed. The cars had changed. This cartoon that was created back in 88 now looked a lot different. When I sat down with Mick and I had this piece of paper that was rolled up, I'm sure he was curious what this, you know, teenager was doing in his house with a rolled up piece of paper. And Gaz is like, Mick, this is Mitch. He, he loves your artwork. He's actually drawn a picture based on that, a bit of a rendition, and he wants to show you and get your thoughts. So I, I unroll it and show Mick and I'd love to ask him what he thought in that moment maybe i'll get that chance at some point we should get him on the podcast i think we should i I think it's worth a phone call i mean that would really tick off my bucket list i'd love to have ego on here so we'll see how we go with that watch this space as they say listen to this space but yeah no i'd I'd love to ask him what he thought when i unraveled that because for what it seemed to me he was super excited i mean if i had a kid these days come up to me and sit next to me and unroll an artwork that was a depiction of what i'd created I'd be stoked. And, you know, the conversation went on for a while and I explained to him that I could never get a hold of his artwork and, and he had none to even offer. Back then when he'd created that artwork, it was a watercolour image. And because they didn't have processes like we do today in our gallery with artwork reproduction, what they do is they take a photograph of it and they give you a colour negative. So if you ever want a copy of that artwork, you actually have to take it to like a lab and they will basically get you a print based on the negative so I think he lost that negative at some point and it was just he was unable to get me a copy but he was excited about the artwork that I was doing and he actually he'd said to me that he did 200 prints back in 1988 and they sold in a matter of weeks so he was like come and show me this artwork when you're finished and I'd love to get a copy off you and I was like man that's pretty cool and anyway after being there for an hour or so I jumped in the car I was so stoked just you know couldn't be more grateful to Gaz for that and Gaz gets a phone call and it's Mick and he's like do you mind chucking Mitch on the phone and you know I start talking to Mick and he's like mate I'm serious about this print thing I think that once the artwork's finished by the looks to me it's going to be pretty cool and it'll show the change over however many years I think you should do a run of prints and sell them and that kind of gave me a bit of confidence as an artist that maybe I could do this thing full time and, and make a career off it and I think at that point Gaz was, could see the excitement in, in me wanting to take this thing seriously and we get back to Gaz's house and he's like Mitch I've got this blank wall upstairs what do you think about painting a mural for me I've got goosebumps again oh, this goosebumps <laughs> thing happens a lot I wish you could see my legs maybe we should rename this podcast goosebumps goosebumping yeah I love it no anyway I, I can visually see it when I close my eyes right now I remember walking up Gaz's stairs and his pool tables in the middle of the the lounge room there with the nice floorboards and I open up this white sliding door and walk out and you've got this beautiful view of the ocean right and um and then this blank wall that's about waist to you know mid torso height and it wraps around the the whole inside of his balcony right and he's like what do you think about painting 
the beach, what we kind of can't see because that house is blocking it. So when I come up here and I'm sitting in my happy place, I can see the part of the ocean that I actually can't. And I was like, that's really cool. And at this point, I'd never painted a mural. To me, I was just a kid drawing sketches in my bedroom. I've just met Mick, who's, you know, one of my mentors, and he doesn't even know it (laughs) at that point, idle. And all these things are happening for me in a matter of two hours. And I was, it was so overwhelmed. And anyway, I had this project and I was going to paint a mural for the Callanans and I was so happy. And that was my, I guess, my first job. I spent a week or two at his house and I painted this mural with acrylic paints and Posca pens and I finished it. And for me, that was it. I'd painted this amazing picture. I thought nothing of it. And I remember when I was leaving and taking all my stuff out, Gaz pulled me into his office and he was he sat me down. And I remember him vividly saying, what are we going to write this off as? He'd already had plans that he was going to, you know, incentivize me for doing the work where I wasn't expecting any form of payment. I was just stoked that I was able to sit there and paint a picture for him, you know, and this was going to be in his home, his family home forever. And yeah, he writes out a check for 2000 bucks. And for <laughs> me being a kid, like 2000 bucks, like, I got to work my ass off for that, doing shit that I don't want to do, like packing shelves in a shopping center, which is what I kind of was doing at some point. I always relay back to that. And I had a check for two grand and that was kind of, I'll never forget that moment. And I think back to that every day when I wake up and I get to live this creative life as an artist with the gallery and influencing kids of today and working with you and, and just all that. It's a constant reminder that if you don't push yourself and put yourself in a situation where you're exposed to trying something new, you might not get a chance to have things like this put on me and you might miss your opportunity for a job title. You might miss that moment that Mm. could change your career path. So, you know, it's a story that I love to share. I'm so happy to lay this down on tape so other people can hear it. And, yeah, it was a beautiful story, a beautiful moment, some that I'll never forget. How does your art talk? Email sean at mitchrevs.com. There's so much that comes to my head there. One, in the last podcast, we were talking about the world is open for play and creativity. And one of the things that we were mentioning or talked about in that podcast is mentors and the elders supporting the youth of tomorrow and actually encouraging them. And that's two very potent examples of where people who are older than you believing in you and it's almost this concept of legacy the artworks if you see them next to each other it's clear that you've taken inspiration from that it was an artist interpretation of that for sure and i can imagine it'd be great to get him on the podcast to talk about this because it's like he's created a legacy and it's like part of his journey was to create you yeah totally you know and and i talk about this with parkour as well because quite often i notice People without an abundance mindset, which we talked about in the first podcast, where they're like, if they're in a restricted mindset, there is a world where ego goes, oh, Mitch has created his legacy and it took something from me. Yeah, of but course. You're built, but an abundance mindset, he's like, he did that and then you did this and it's, it's all part of the story. Yeah. And in parkour, quite often, each generation gets better at parkour. And so, I was in like the second generation of parkour athletes and I looked up to a bunch of parkour athletes and I took what I learned from them and when I started I was at a higher level starting than they were and then like Dom who's one of my best friends Dom Tomato look at him on Instagram he's now one of if not the best 
parkour athlete in the world, like number one right now. He's doing it, hey. And I, in many ways, was a mentor to him. We're only a few years apart, but he got to enter at a level that was higher because of some of the achievements that I made. And I was the first Australian to go off and compete in the world championships. I was the first Australian to do the Red Bull Art of Motion and do the Red Bull competitive. Yeah, wow. And then he got sponsored by Red Bull and I could be like, oh, I wanted to get sponsored by Red Bull and I didn't. But the, the direct way you looked per- at it, yeah. Well, the direct person that came after me did. In my world, I'm so happy for Dom and nothing but pride of what he's created. And I know that I've contributed to that and I've gone off and done my own awesome things. So, that's that abundance mindset, right? And I love that and I can imagine Ego would as well. But the bit that I really want to talk about from here and I think where we should go from here is that's cool. That's an amazing story. But it's this this concept of going from amateur to pro. Yeah, so, it's all well and good to do this first mural and do this first art piece. But how did you make that transition? Because now, you know, involved with Pinot and Picasso, we just announced last podcast that we're taking Decked Out nationwide. You have a gallery space, you have a couple of spaces, and now you sell your artwork and you have 50 to 100 pieces of art. Mm -hmm. You know, what was the journey from there? Great question. I think for me, I have always been a risk taker and done things, you know, out of the ordinary. I've never stuck to the path that seems like the right thing to do. But I guess at this point, I... I'd made this Meriwether artwork. I'd had such a good response from it. I myself had sold 200 artworks of that piece, you know, in a matter of months, which was game changing for me. It allowed me to invest my money into printers and things so I could keep everything in-house. And this was at a time where there wasn't an abundance of artists on Instagram. I'm sure there was, but it wasn't noticeable like it is today. You know, there's artists left, right and center, which is great, but everyone was at the start of the platform. So, everyone was slowly growing it. The golden era of organic traffic. That's what I call it from a marketing mindset. You could post and you could grow. Yeah, totally. It's a lot harder to be seen these days. But for me, like it was at a time where brands were looking at how they could market themselves in a different way to what they are now. It wasn't about followers. It was more about the organic artist and and working with that person for how they looked rather than for what their status was. And I was fortunate to be seen by brands like Vegemite and Jamison and all these major labels, Sony, Converse, all these really cool brands that helped expose me to a wider audience which is harder to do these days. It's not It's not impossible, but you need to really be a niche artist or setting yourself apart from the rest, which is one thing that we try to promote in our workshops. When I started as an artist, I was doing a lot of tracing and obviously just like musicians, if you listen to the Beatles a lot, chances are your music's going to come out like the Beatles. So trying to encourage artists to find their own style, find their niche, and whether that is getting half a dozen of your favorite artists and mashing their styles together to form your own, that's cool. But if you're thinking long-term and you're wanting to make a career out of it, point of difference is where that comes into play. And I feel like I had that point of difference. I was selling a, an art form that was fun. It was nostalgic. It was colorful. And everyone else was doing it a little different to me. So, I guess I had at that point a bit of an upper hand. So, yeah, being able to work with brands like Vegemite that put my name on a bit of a national level helped me get that upper foot. And at this point, I was starting to sell a lot more artworks via my online store at mitchrevs.com. 
I hadn't had a gallery at this point, but I was looking to exhibit a body of work that I was proud of and I felt like was going to sell really well. And I guess, like I said earlier about doing things differently, whether it's the right thing or not, I just want you guys to know that this is the way that I've navigated my journey and it's not necessarily what you would do or the right thing. But I never understood why an artist had to create a body of work and then exhibit in an art gallery and give away 20 to 45% commission without paying a rental fee for the gallery space. It leaves the artist with nothing and that's why artists have always been labelled as the starving, mm. you know, the starving artists. Yeah, we're not making any fucking money because people are taken away from us and that's depleting, you know. It doesn't feel good to create all this work, but that seems like the only option for the artist, right? So, so just so I understand this better as well, and there might be a few people that are confused, it's kind of like what they talk about in like the record industry where like labels were, were controlling the artists for a long time and taking their commissions. And then there's been this like rise of the independent musician and those people now take a lot higher percentage of what they create because they don't haven't got the middleman. So, would you say that that's kind of how your journey's gone as an artist as well? Just taking control, having your own portals that you were putting your stuff for sure. out for and, and never really going to one of those big websites that sell a lot of art, trying to get your art seen there. You created your own Correct. audience and your own way of distribution. So, you were able to, to make higher margins on your art. Yeah, exactly right. And, and I understand that some people do need management and they do need agents because they struggle navigating their own way and that's fine. But I always was happy to, for it to take longer, but to learn. I've always been big on learning and doing it slower without a spike, you know. So, my idea of this was to find my own gallery space not necessarily for a long term like we have the Mitch Rose Gallery now. I just wanted to find an empty shop space that I could rent for a week or two, exhibit my work and then give the space back exactly how it was when I got it. And that's what I was going to do. So, I stumble along this space on Hunter Street and it turns out it wasn't where I exhibited because the space was too small. Long story short, this space was kind of it just gave a good vibe when you walked in there. The ceilings were really high. It was nice and white, a lot of natural light. And I had all my friends saying, mate, rent's cheap. You should take it. Like you should, regardless of whether you're going to exhibit here or not, take the keys, 12 months, give it a go. You want to do this freelance art thing for real. What's the worst that could happen? You know, you're out of pocket a couple of grand. So what? Yeah. Take a stab. And, yeah. and I've, as I said, I've always been a risk taker. So I did that. And for the first six months, the door was shut 90% of the time because I didn't know what to do. I never had a background in retail or business. I was just an artist and I wanted to sell my work, but I had no idea how, yeah. you know, and the first thing is showing up, you know, <laughs> you've got to show up every day, otherwise it's not going to work. And I wasn't doing that. So I had the big Mitch Revs sign on the door and no Mitch Revs to be found because I was out paddling around in the water, you know, <laughs> living the life. Hey man, you, you paint waves. You have to know the waves real well. That's what I kept telling myself. <laughs> It took me some time and I'm lucky to be surrounded by the right people and have that positive influence. And I slowly came to terms with the fact that if you've got a, a shop front, you need to be in the shop. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? But <laughs> when you live in Ewing, you've got beaches like we do. It's it's a hard compromise. You know, three or four years later, we've had two or three galleries in that time now and we've slowly moved away from our initial space. But I guess back to your question, amateur to pro, it's all about taking risks 
I think putting yourself in a position that you wouldn't usually do, you know, only good things can come from taking a chance. You need to look at both sides. You need to go, all right, if this comes off, what's going to happen? Only good things. You know, you've got this space. If it works, yeah, amazing. You're going to make a bit more money. You're going to create a sense of community. Everyone's going to come and hang around. You're going to sell artworks. Great. If it doesn't work, what actually is the worst possible thing that can happen? You're out of pocket a few bucks. Yeah. Generally, if you're working freelance, you can get yourself out of that. You know, yeah. whatever you get yourself into, you can get yourself out. And it's all about holding yourself accountable. So, you know, once I got my head screwed on with that and figured out how to make it work and got the right people on board and surrounded myself with the right people like you and Kelly and my partner, Emily, we've got such a nice, well-knit team. And that's another big part of it is realizing you can't do it all on your own. I am a stubborn person, right? Yeah. I want to do it all on my own. I want to be the one to say at the end of the day, I did this on my own. And a lot of things I can say, I did. I did do that. But great things come when good minds work alike. And I think having a solid core team and letting people in on your journey is really important. Not everyone has that though. Art talk. We talk art here and we create it at MitchRevs.com. So at what point were you okay with introducing more people? Because obviously there's lots of restrictions and if there could be someone listening to this right now who may be making a little bit of money and may be scared to jump into that because it may take some money off the top end or maybe the fear of then having to support someone else. Like, sure. Was there any specific moment or set of events or a, a milestone where you were like, okay, now I can't handle this all the time. Because even right now, one of the things we talk about quite a lot about having me around, you know, as much as I am, is like, we want to get you back to just creating, right? Sure. And so, at a certain point, the business side of it does take away from the thing that you actually want to do. So, yeah, like, was there a milestone for you where you went, okay, now's the time. I, I want to get back to the, the pen, the paintbrush, now I need someone else to do it. There's only so long that you can keep up a facade that makes you look like the person that you want to reflect, whether it's that strong person that looks like they're succeeding and doing everything right. At some point, that wall's going to be broken down and you're going to become vulnerable and that's what happened to me. It, it all got a bit too much. I didn't know where to go, but I didn't want to look like a failure. And I exposed myself to someone who I didn't think was going to be that person to help but it turns out that by putting myself in a vulnerable state, this person said they had been in a similar situation. This was a very successful businessman who you wouldn't think would be someone to have those same feelings. But they said, you know what, mate? Look at yourself, then look at me. I have these feelings too. I went and got advice from a business advisor about what to do when I was in a, in a, similar, a similar situation like that. Do you have anyone that you can go and speak to and get some advice on what to do in your current situation. So I asked around, you know, and, and it seemed that when you do ask, the help is there. Help is always there for whatever you need. And I was lucky. Tim Ryan, a guy that I surf with, he was able to give me some good advice. And it's funny how things can look when you write them down or draw them on a piece of paper. And it was as simple as that. All these thoughts that I had, in my mind that were bouncing around, we sat there over a beer and he drew out what I was thinking. And as soon as it was on that piece of paper, I think I started crying. I honestly think I did because it was just like 
seeing that in its most simple form and all the pressure and stress that I had on my shoulders just became so simple right in front of me. And I do that every day now. Whenever I have thoughts or feelings, yeah, you can write them in your phone, but chances are it'll stay in your pocket. Write it on a piece of paper where it's at a place where you see it every day, if it's on your table next to you, and write the things that are troubling you, the things that you love, and draw a pie chart of like, this is exactly what Tim did for me. And the wheels showed to me that the thing that I loved the most was surfing. It had the smallest percentage on the pie chart. Mm. So it was all about how do you get your life to operate in a way where surfing doesn't take up the whole wheel, but the wheel is balanced into a graph that shows work is consistent, life is consistent. I'll tell you how. You do surf art. You do surf art. <laughs> but that was part of it. It was like you need to set time aside for all these yeah, things. Yeah, Absolutely. But then also bringing in financials and saying, all right, if you're in a position where you can afford an art gallery space and it's costing you this much, you need to spend money to make money. And let's write down all the things that you're struggling to do that are pulling you away from making the art, which is bringing in the income. And there were things like sitting down at the end of the day and doing all the web orders and printing because I was getting a lack of sleep, which then made me wake up later. And it was just a it was just a shit cycle that I was in. But when you write it down, mm. you're able to schedule your time and see it, give yourself some structure and you owe it to yourself to do that. So I think first thing is writing things down with a piece of paper and pen, not mm. digitally and just putting it out in front of you and talking to people about it. Like mm. you never know who else might need that as well. We're all such closed books. And I think mm. by being vulnerable and like exposing yourself to other people, you start to change the way you think. Yeah. And that was a big turning point for me. And I feel like that's the success of the company today. I sit down monthly with Tim and we go over what's pulling me away mm. from doing what I'm doing. What are the problems? What are the great things? And just keeping that balance, just creating a good community and culture around that too. Well, I think that is great advice. Does that make sense? It is makes that- perfect sense. And it, it, it makes me think about one of, yeah, I think the next podcast we're going to do. So we want to create that community you know, and start providing opportunities to help other people like that. So, I think what you just did then, the advice that you just gave is fantastic. And if you're listening to this and this is hitting, well, then stick around for the next podcast because we're going to announce some stuff coming up that's going to help create this community. And I think we can leave it there because that was beautiful and you shared so much. Or if there's anything else you want to add to that, we can do that as well. No, man, I think I think that was cool. And that's probably something that I also needed to hear. You know, a lot of the times I say things and then when I hear them back, I'm like, you know what, it's it's time for me to sit down and do that again. So, Well, I'm standing across from you and, and like... You want to draw that pie chart, don't you? Oh, I, I mean, I was... Yeah, I need that. But I watch you just go into a flow state. You were just yeah. like flowing this then. This is... None of this stuff is written down. We're just having conversations right now and some good stuff's coming from it. So thanks awesome. for sharing all that, man. Cheers, Shauna. Until next time. Art Talk with Mitch Revs and Sean Wood. Paying us a five-star review on iTunes.